And I'd love to say this chapter is significantly easier and less complex than the one last week, which you all enjoyed watching me struggle through. Uh, but I'm not sure it is. So, yeah. Turn your brains on. You ready? The whole chapter as well. The whole chapter 12. Let's do this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as father addresses his son? It says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level paths for your feet, so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. Make every effort to live in the peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. See that no one is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. Afterwards, as you know, when he wanted to inherit his blessing, he was rejected. Even though he sought the blessing with tears, he could not change what he had done. You have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire, to darkness, gloom, and storm, to a trumpet blast or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them because they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. If they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? At that time his voice shook and the earth 
um, the earth, but now he has promised, once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. The words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken, that is, created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Let's uh, pray for Clive, because I think he needs it. I always need it. (laughs) Father, thank you um, for that text, some of it comprehensible, some of it not. Um, And we pray as as Clive comes to it now to expound it for us, that you will lighten things from from that word that you will show us truths about you that we haven't thought about before or or, or re-envision the way we imagine you, Jesus, for your glory. Speak through Clive and speak to us in your name. Amen. So it's good to be continuing in this series on Hebrews and uh, some of you will remember that when I saw the wonderful posters that uh, my friend Owen produces along with these lovely little cards with all the uh, titles on the back and saw the, the, the posters up on the front and the back doors of the church, great big huge posters that just have the kind of police tape there saying who is Jesus and a shadowy figure perhaps of Jesus behind it. Uh, I imagine people walking past and going, who is Jesus? Well, if they don't know him there, we've got no chance. That's what I was thinking people would be saying. And we have looked so far at the first five messages at Jesus as Son of God and God the Son, Jesus as Saviour, Jesus as Prophet, Jesus as Priest, and last week, Jesus as King through that mysterious character, Melchizedek. And today, we come to look at Jesus Christ as Lord. That's where we've got to in this sixth message, Jesus as Lord. And we're looking here at Hebrews 12. But a little bit of background context is vital. Uh, uh, Chapter 12 isn't really going to make much sense unless we have understood something of chapter 11, but I don't have the time, but if you go back and read chapter 11 tonight in your own Bible, or look at it this week, you'll find that it's a chapter that you could, you could describe this way. It's heroes and heroines of the faith. It's the men and women of God who are like great witnesses that have gone before even Jesus, who carried out such amazing feats in dependence and trust of the God. They're declared to be Lord, that they are heroes and heroines of the faith. And there are some of those in this building tonight. Those who just faithfully, faithfully, faithfully care for those who no one else will care for. They go out onto the mission field and give their life to mission. They work with children and young people. They work on the streets as street pastors or in the soup kitchen. They're heroes and heroines of the faith. And we move from chapter 11 to chapter 12. And the link is pretty clear. Let me just give you a couple of verses from chapter 11. Right from the beginning... Verses 1 and 2, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we don't see. This is what the ancients were commended for. And then he commends all these different ancients. Chapter 11 and verse 6, without faith it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and he rewards those who earnestly seek him. But when you get to verse 36 and go down to the end of the chapter, you see how tough it is sometimes to be a hero or a heroine of the faith. Listen to this. Some face jeers and flogging. 
while still others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned, they were sawed in two, they were put to death by the sword, they went about in sheepskins and goatskins. This is when they, they put animal skins with blood on, on them, in the amphitheatre and let wild beasts, lions, hungry lions and tigers, loose on people. Dreadful. They went about in those skins, they went destitute, persecuted, mistreated. The world wasn't worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, in caves and holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith, yet not one of them received what had been promised. God had planned something better for us so that together with us, they would be made perfect. The better thing is Jesus. They knew about this great and awesome God, but they didn't understand the new covenant in Jesus. They understood the old covenant. You must keep the law to the letter. You must be brave. You must be courageous. You must be holy through gritted teeth. The Spirit then was only on certain special people, prophets and kings. But there was something better that was coming, prophesied in all the Old Testament scriptures that Jesus was coming. So now when we link to this first three verses of chapter 12. The background is here. The first word is therefore. And I know it's old and hackneyed, and you've heard me and probably Ross say it before. When you see the word therefore, ask what it's there for. So it's saying in the light of that, all those heroes and heroines of the faith, therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, it's talking about the witnesses in heaven, Almost like the people in an amphitheatre where the ancient games took place that are cheering you on. Like the people who cheered, cheered the runners on at the marathon in London recently. But they're now in heaven with God. You're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Let's throw off everything that hinders and the sin so that, that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance. It's almost like runners that carry weights while they're training. But when they're in the actual event, they get rid of all that stuff so they can run light. So they're ready to go. Let's fix our eyes upon Jesus, the author, the pioneer, the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him, you see it's the same for him, for the joy set before Jesus, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, stripped naked, bloodied, battered, beaten, spat upon, punched, nailed to a cross. But he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, Consider him, consider Jesus, fix your eyes on him who endured such opposition from sinful men and women that you will not grow weary and lose heart. You see, these Hebrews that the author's writing to, they, they were giving up on Jesus. You ever get weary? Do you ever lose heart? You ever think it's too tough, it's too hard, it's too challenging? That's what they were doing. And so the author here, inspired by the Holy Spirit, says, fix your eyes on Jesus. And the first thing that I want to say that comes out of these first three verses, as we look at Jesus who is Lord, that this is the Lord who lives after death. And there isn't, there's not many people that do that. He's the Lord that lives after death. The tomb is empty. Isn't that great? Who's been to the garden tomb in Jerusalem? Few people. Now there's another tomb that's covered by an amazing shrine and church. But those of you who've been to the garden tomb will at least, whether it's the exact place or not, it could well be. You'll know what it's like to stand there in the sense of that empty tomb. And Jesus is the Lord who lives after death. He's the Lord over life and death. Jesus can tell us about how to persevere. 
because Jesus is the one that shows us how to persevere. So the first thing to say about this Lord who lives after death is it's about Jesus and the perseverance of our faith. We need to fix our eyes upon Jesus. How? You've been doing it tonight. Come to church. Worship God. Sing great songs. Guys, thanks for tonight. Just awesome. We're going to enjoy more in a moment of drawing close to God. Reading God's Word in Scripture. Hearing sermons, but studying the Word for yourself. Gathering in small groups in homes or coffee bars. Signing up for 24-7 prayer. All of these things help you to stay close to Jesus and fix your eyes on Jesus. Get here Friday night. It's going to be awesome. It's going to do our faith good. We're going to fix our eyes upon Jesus. And that will help us to persevere when our going gets tough. Because Jesus is also the perfecter of our faith. He's a pioneer. He's the author. He is the one that we worship and love. We are Christians, Christians, if you're a Christian tonight. We follow Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Jesus Christ, the Lord. Jesus Christ, the Saviour. And he who started a good work in you is going to see it through to completion. So one day you too can be a hero or a heroine of the faith for simply continuing to follow Jesus. Verse 2 puts it this way, Let us fix our eyes upon Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. And I'm not going to sit on the throne, but we're going to have the privilege to be near the throne. You see, Jesus is the pioneer of our faith. If we look at verse 3, we see that Jesus is the one who made the way possible. It says, consider him who endured such opposition from sinful people that you will not grow weary and lose heart. It's easy sometimes to want to give up, but Jesus is his pioneer. I will never forget um, one of my tutors at Bible college, a guy called Martin Inchley, who'd been a missionary in Brazil telling us about these guys with these great long bush knives. You know these great long bush knives for hacking your way through jungles? They would hack their way through the jungle. They're kind of big, strong people that would just push through, cutting and blazing a trail, pioneering a trail through a jungle. They were called bandaranches. Sounds great, doesn't it? A bandaranche. And these Brazilian bandaranches were trailblazers. They were the pioneers. They'd find a way. Let's just go back a little bit in this beautiful book to these people who wanted to give up and look at chapter 4, verses 14 to 16. You see, Jesus isn't a bandaranchi with a great big sword. He's a very different kind of pioneer, of author, of perfecter. He's a great high priest and it says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, he didn't hack his way through a jungle, he's gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we don't have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. We have one who's been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. He never sinned. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. You've not got a bandaranchi with a big sword, but you've got someone who went to that cross and was nailed there because he loved you that much. Someone who'll never give up on you. Not someone who goes into a holy place in the temple on one day a year with trembling, with a chain tied to his 
ankle in case he drops dead in the holy presence of God and he has to be pulled out. No, Jesus who caused with his death that temple curtain to the holiest of holy places to be torn from top to bottom. Jesus has gone through the heavens. His body has caused that uh, curtain to be torn. He's made a way to God the Father for you and me. Wow. You've got access to God the Father through this great high priest, this pioneer, this author, this perfecter, and he's not going to let go of you because he loves you. We've got eternal life in Jesus, who is the Lord over life and death, the Lord who lives after death. The second thing that I want to say here, as I think it's what the author wants to say, is that this is the Lord who lovingly disciplines. And I want to say at the outset, we struggle with that concept, don't we? Who likes to be disciplined? I don't. I better not go there because there are evidently some people that do like that, but that's a completely different ballpark. Most people do not like to be told off. They don't like to be corrected. They don't like to be disciplined at all. And Jesus is the Lord who lovingly disciplines as a loving father would discipline a son. Let me tell you a a little story about my son, Adam. Uh, He's a fine guy. He's in his 30s now, he's uh, working in the finance industry in Geneva. He's got a, a beautiful French girlfriend. They've um, purchased a property in Berlin. Everything's going well for Adam. But pray for Adam because he believes, but he has not yet turned back fully to God. And he's well named, is my Adam, because when we used to go and do Christian camps, his nickname was Adam What an Anful Bernard. Adam What an Anful Bernard, because my Adam was a complete handful. And we were out in the back garden one day, and there was a pitchfork. And I said, don't touch that, son. Okay, so I'm doing some gardening, and he's playing around, and he picked it up again. I said, son, that's dangerous. Those tines on that fork are really sharp. Be careful with it. And and he said, all right, dad. And I turned away again, and it must have been at least three or four times. I said, look, if you're not careful, you're going to hurt yourself. Maybe I should just put it away. So I'm back going to be, all of a sudden, there is the most ear-piercing scream you've ever heard as he had picked up the pitchfork dropped it and one of the spikes went right into the top of his foot right into the top of his foot what do you do as a father then you say i told you that'd happen no i just scooped him up because i love him put him in the car and took him to accident and emergency got him checked out got the jabs got everything else thankfully he didn't need stitches he was okay he learned a lesson it wasn't me that put the pitchfork in his foot God doesn't want you to have a pitchfork in your foot. God doesn't want you to experience that kind of pain. God doesn't want you to do things which will lead you into painful brokenness. And he loves you so much that he came. Let's not make God the cosmic child abuser. God is in Christ on that cross. God came to planet Earth, and God didn't get a pitchfork in his foot. He got nails to his hands and nails to his feet and a spear in his side. He took the punishment for the stuff you and I get wrong. He's the Lord who lovingly disciplines. Do you know, there's a beautiful song we sing here, and maybe we went through a period where we sang it too often, but, but we haven't sung it for a while, and when it comes back now, it's one of those ones we can just close our eyes and worship, and it's a song that describes God as a good, good father. It's beautiful, isn't it? I love it. You're a good, good father. I'm loved by you. It's who I am. It's who you are. You're a good father. You are perfect in all of your ways, and I just want to say this. God is 
perfect in all of his ways, but Clive isn't. Anyone else here that is perfect tonight? Someone at the back, you need to come and preach for us if you think you're perfect, okay? The only person who's here tonight who is perfect is Jesus. And you can't see him, but he promised to be here where even two or three are gathered in his name. But I'm not perfect. Our loving Father is perfect. His son Jesus was perfect. And Jesus, the perfect sacrifice, went to that cross in my place and your place. So when we live out our imperfections, we're still loved, but we need to be shaped. We need to be challenged. We need to be disciplined. We need to be transformed. The big theological word is sanctification. If you're a Christian, you're made holy because the Spirit lives in you and because Jesus has come into your life by the Spirit, you are already set apart and holy. But if you're anything like me, you're not perfect yet and you won't be until you go to be with Jesus. Or he comes back and in a twinkling of an eye, you'll be made perfect. So until then, there are times when we get disciplined. The Lord is the one who lovingly disciplines. It's a discipline which is loving. Let me read verses 4 to 6 back in Hebrews chapter 12. In your struggle against sin. Anyone out there ever struggle against sin? Bet there won't be many hands up for that. In your struggle against sin, you've not resisted to the point of shedding your blood. You see, Jesus never sinned, but he shed his blood for you and me. And you've forgotten that word of encouragement that addresses you as sons and daughters. My son, my daughter, we could add. Don't make light of the Lord's discipline. Don't lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines those he loves. He punishes everyone he accepts as a son, as a daughter, as a child. That's what parents do. Any parents out there? Don't be harsh with your children. The Bible teaches that. Love them, but you've got to discipline them. Or they might end up with a pitchfork in their foot and learn the hard way. God disciplines those he loves. You know, I, I'm going for my second shock of the night here. There's this guy who preached in more countries than I've ever traveled to, and uh, lots of countries. An incredibly holy, powerful, anointed preacher and man of God. And he preached in the church that I was pastoring, my first church. And he, he, he uh, prayed for me when I responded to his message and said, Andrew, I want you to pray for me. And he put the hand on my head. And these were the first words out of his mouth. And before you tell me off, this is perfectly good English. He put his hand on my, head and, on my head and he said, Father, I thank you that Clive's not a bastard. And I thought, I've been called that a few times at the rugby club, but I'm glad to hear I'm not. Because that English word means an illegitimate child. Someone who is born not from a married man and woman who have loved each other and covenanted together before God to spend their life together and to bring children in the, into the world if God blesses them. Uh, no, legitimate children come from that context. Illegitimate children are bastards. And it's not a nice word to use because many people don't marry now when they have children. So be careful with what you say. Be loving and gracious. But when he said, I thank you, Clive. Thank you, Lord, that Clive's not a bastard. I, I immediately, after the initial shock, thinking, what on earth is he praying? realized what he was saying, that I'm a legitimate son of the living God. And I want to tell you, as I look out here, I don't see any bastards. I just see Christians who are sons and daughters of the living God who are precious in his sight. Amen? That means that discipline is loving like a loving heavenly Father. But we don't like it very much. 
Discipline is the discipline which at times comes through hardship. Let me read verses 7 to 9, because this is exactly what the text says. It says, endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons and daughters and children, for what son is not disciplined by his father? If you're not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are illegitimate children. You're not true sons and daughters. Moreover, we've all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of our spirits and live? Now, I just want to pause here because it's quite possible that there are some men and women here who have had fathers, or mothers for that matter, who have been cruel, who have been harsh, who have been abusive, who have been unkind, who have not disciplined with love and have crushed you and damaged you and broken you. And God is here to bring you healing, even now, however old you are, if you're still carrying that damage, God is here for you tonight. Because God's discipline is loving. He lovingly disciplines. It's a discipline which at times, yes, comes through hardship, but it's not that God necessarily leads you into that hardship. In this world at times, you and I will have trouble. And we're to endure hardship as discipline because we're not illegitimate children. Let me just read to try and help you in this from Romans chapter 5, verses 1 to 5. The great apostle Paul says this in Romans 5 from verse 1. Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we've gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope doesn't disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he's given us. You and I, we're going to go through hardship and sufferings at times in this world. Because the world's fallen and broken. There'll be sickness and sadness and suffering for all of us at different times. Some of us more than others, sadly. But God still loves us. And in all circumstances, God works for the good of those who love him. And, and what he's wanting to do in those times is stand with us, draw alongside, love us, and develop Christ-like character in us. To make you, to make me more like Jesus. That's what discipline's about. It's not cruelty, it's love. And yet we have a society that says, if you don't just love me and accept me exactly the way I am, you don't love me at all. That's not true. God challenges those that he loves. And it's a discipline which is for our own good. Look at verses 10 to 12, back in Hebrews chapter 12. Verses 10 to 12. It's very, very clear here. Our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. That we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who've been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and your weak knees. Make level paths for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. There are those people who are watching you and me, and they want to see how we live. 
and they don't want to be disciplined, they don't want anything to do with God, but they see something perhaps in your life that's attractive, they have a glimpse of Jesus, the fragrance of Jesus in your life, but they want to see how you cope with the tough times, they want to see how you love, they want to see how you care for them, they don't care what you know until they know that you care. But you, if you strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees, and I strengthen my feeble arms and weak weak knees, Neek wheeze, that's a great expression, isn't it? Yeah, that sounds like a bladder infection, doesn't it? I've got neek wheeze. I am completely outlandish tonight, Ross. For goodness sake, do something. Pray or something. Get a big hook and pull me off or something like that, whatever you do. I'm on three strikes at the moment and I'm out. Discipline which is for our own good is that we might share in his holiness. And if we do, there'll be a harvest of righteousness and a harvest of peace. And that moves me to the final thing. God longs to bless you. This Lord is the Lord who lives after death. He's the Lord who lovingly disciplines, but he's the Lord who loves to bless us, but he warns us from heaven. He wants to bless us, but sometimes as a parent, as a loving father, you warn a child. Let's go back to my Adam. What an handful Bernard. I warned him, don't ever go down the drive. Don't ever go down the drive, because you go down the drive, there are cars. And I literally, you must think I'm a terrible parent, but I took my eyes off him for a few minutes, and he he was fast, and he was gone. And I looked, and I realized he'd headed down the drive, and he was only little, and so I chased after him down the drive, and he headed towards the road. There's this huge road that goes into Scarborough from a place called Filey, and the cars move fast. And I caught him just at the curb as he was about to step out. And if he had... He'd have been gone. I warned him out of love for him. You know what I mean? And it was restraining grace that literally caught his collar and went like that. And God wants to warn you and me from heaven because God wants to bless us. Just like I wanted to be a blessing to my son. And we're great friends now. And I thank God for the fact that I'm a friend with all of my children who are grown. The Lord who loves to bless us warns us from heaven. It's loving to warn those you love. I don't know what you think of the sign behind me, but it's a sign that warns of danger of death from overhead high-power cables. There's a danger that if you get too close to those, zap, you'll be gone. Dangerous powers. Let me tell you, if you're a Christian, there are dangerous powers arraigned against you. Satan, the one who's called the accuser, the one who's called the tempter, who'll tempt you, the one who's called your adversary, the one who's called your enemy, the devil, he really exists. I'm not important enough for him, but he's got lots of little minions called evil spirits, demons. And they are active in the world, and they're active tempting and accusing. They're active being adversaries. Jesus said that Satan was the prince of this world or the God of this world. He was thrown out of heaven. He was an angel, but he wanted to be equal to God. He was tempted and he fell into pride and he was thrown out of heaven. And his fate is the lake of fire. God didn't make hell for man, but for the devil and all of his angels. But sadly, those human beings who side with him in this world will end up there with him. There's all kinds of disputes about what that looks like, but I'll tell you what it is at best. It's separation from God for eternity, at best. 
And God doesn't want that for us. God desires that none should perish. So he wants holiness to be part of our life. He warns us from heaven to live holy lives. And there's our part and there's God's part. Listen to verses 14 to 21. In verse 14 it says, make every effort. That's our part. Make every effort to live in peace with all men and to be holy. Because without holiness no one will see the Lord. And see to it that no one misses the grace of God. That's God's part. Grace, we can't earn grace. It's a, it's a free gift. Our part is to make every effort to be holy. God's part is to give us the grace that we need to be holy. Don't miss His grace. See to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. Tangent here, really important. Is there anyone in your background that wounded you, hurt you, let you down, said nasty things about you, and you've tried to put it out of your mind, but really something has taken root deep within you, a root of bitterness? Now, you know, gardens that have lawns, sometimes dandelions get in them, quite often. In fact, I'm good at cultivating dandelions at the manse. And they don't go away, I just mow them and chop the heads off, hoping that they won't come back. But what happens is, their roots are tap roots, they go deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper, till eventually, even poison's not going to do it, and you have to dig them out. But i tell you what I want to do with my heart, make sure there's no bitter root. And I can tell you, there's no one in this church that I don't love. There's no one in this church that I've got any bitterness towards. There's no one in the church I pastored before this or the church I pastored before that church. There's no one. I will not allow a bitter root to grow into my heart because it will destroy me. It will damage me. Any of you got bitter roots? You might think, but Clive, if you knew what they said or did, how on earth could I forgive them? Well, I'll tell you this. God will sort them out come the right time if they haven't repented of that. But if you don't release them, it's going to keep affecting you. You'll continue to be their victim. Because the bitterness will eat away at you. And God wants us to live holy lives. There's our part and there's God's part. Because there's heaven to come. Our promise is that if we follow God in this life, there's not only heaven, there's a new heaven and a new earth. And it's like God's prize to us. Listen to verses 22 to 24. There's an amazing illustration about uh, how Father Isaac doesn't give the blessing to Esau, the oldest son. This is from Genesis 27, but Jacob actually, he cheats and he gets the blessing. And you might wonder, how on earth could that happen? But the point that the author is trying to make is, all of you Hebrews know the story of, of Esau who doesn't get the blessing, and then he cries because he longs for the blessing. But actually, he was so immoral and so sinful and so lacking in holiness that almost God allowed that to happen. And Jacob got the blessing. He grasped after the blessing from his father Isaac. They know this story. But he says, don't you miss out on this. Verses 22 to 24. We're getting there near the end now. Verses 22 to 24. But you've come to Mount Zion, to the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God. You've come to thousands upon thousands of angels. He's now talking about the heaven to come. They're in joyful assembly. You've come to the church of the firstborn. This is Jesus. The church of those whose names are written in heaven. 
You've come to God, the judge of all men, and to the spirits of righteous men made perfect, those men and women, those heroes and heroines of the faith. You've come to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Abel was a son of Adam and Eve, and he made a proper sacrifice to God. But that's nothing compared to the sacrifice that Jesus made. And that's how much God loves you. So there's a promise of heaven, but not just sitting on the clouds playing harps with angels. There's a new heaven and a new earth. And I know one of Ross's favorite scriptures is a time that's coming where there'll be no more crying. Every tear will be wiped away. There'll be no more sadness, no more sickness, no more suffering, no more Satan. You know, sometimes my wife in the hardest times, she sings a very old song by Graham Kendrick. It goes like this. Heaven is a wonderful place, full of glory and grace. I want to be there. And sometimes, like the Apostle Paul, it'd be a wonderful place to be. Hope is where we finish tonight. Hope, our personal responsibility in God's wonderful promise. Let's finish a chapter off from verse 25. See to it that you don't refuse him. He's warning you. See to it that you don't refuse him. Jesus is Lord. The Lord who speaks. If they didn't escape when they refused him, who warned them on earth, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? He's the Lord who loves to bless us and warns us from heaven because he loves to bless us like any father loves to bless a child. At that time, his voice shook the earth. And now he's promised, once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. The words once more indicated the removing of what can be shaken. That is created things so that what cannot be shaken may remain. That's the kingdom of God. It can't be shaken. Therefore, since we're receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, Because our God is a consuming fire. He's a holy God. But he wants to burn up all the dross. He wants to bless us with everything he's got. But he wants to warn us from heaven. Do your part. My son is your Lord. Be like him. Follow him. Love him. And I don't want to finish on a negative note. But this earth is going to be shaken. This world is going to be shaken. You never thought Twin Towers could happen. You never thought that someone would unleash, unleash a nuclear arsenal, but they might. But whatever can be shaken will be shaken. But the one thing that cannot be shaken is the kingdom of God. And you're either in it because Jesus is your Lord or you're out of it. And if you are in it, then remember this, that he who is in you is greater than he who's in the world. And because his kingdom can't be shaken and he can't be shaken, you won't be shaken. Amen? Let's worship him.